Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 131. Uh, thanks to Robert Hornack for being on the show last week to discuss Locke. Uh, this week, our host, our guest, our not guest host, this week's co-host, I still don't know quite what to say, so uh, this week's co-host is Reed Lackey. He's back. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing great. Having a good day. Happy uh, to be here. Absolutely. I always enjoy having Reed here because his... Uh, He's chipper, he's upbeat, and he really <laughs> raises the uh, raises the bar. Oh, oh um, thank you. you I know, appreciate that. Uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? I think so. Is that yeah. how yeah, it I works? think they say ships, but it's the same exact Ships, point, that's so, the yeah. one. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think if there's any announcements. Um, not really as far as uh, more than one lesson. Uh, as far as uh, personally... Um, let's see, this will be going up on Thursday. So in a few days... Those that are fans of the Alien series, um, <clears throat> you can purchase uh, the Battleship Pretension commentary for Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection. You can purchase them separately for $3 each or together for $10 for the bunch. And that'll come to about nine hours of entertainment. It'll be me and David and wow. then several guests um, and it'll be a lot of fun. We haven't recorded it as of yet. Uh, it'll be available probably this coming Monday or Tuesday. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So if you want to help support, uh, Battleship Pretension and also get a whole lot of, uh, talking in the meantime, then you can go to battleshippretension.com and click on that. So, uh, as f- I think that is about it. So I will go ahead and get us started. We are talking this week. Uh, about Joss Whedon's Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, which he also wrote and is obviously the sequel to the Avengers. It sounds weird to say the sequel to the Avengers because this Marvel thing, oh, th- they're all sequels and not sequels to each other. Yeah. Uh, and then the Avengers movies, they know it doesn't feel like the Avengers is its own separate series. Like, Iron Man feels different than Thor, feels different than Captain America. The Avengers is just the culmination of all of them. I, I know. Think. And it, well, it's interesting because I think that the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general, like, I, I, I was reflecting on this as I was preparing for, for the episode. I think it's unique in film history because yeah. there's never been, because you have obviously the franchises. You've got Iron Man is a franchise. Thor is a franchise. Captain America is a franchise. The Avengers is a franchise. But all of them, take place in an integral Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah. And, and so it's like, okay, somebody could just go and say, Oh, I'm just going to watch the Iron Man movies. And by the time you get to three things have happened in other films that, that flavor what's going on. So you right. do miss a little bit of the context, but you know, you could just watch the Iron Man movies. Oh, that's yeah. all I'm interested in. I don't know really why somebody would do that, but somebody could do that if they wanted to. Yeah. But it's really, 
interesting that they're creating this entire fictional universe. And it's pretty exciting that this would happen. Naturally, it's going to happen for comic books first because yeah. comic books already exist in that kind of thing. But it would be interesting to me. You're you're doing a, a collection of BP commentaries for the Alien movies, yeah. and I'm sitting here thinking, how great would it be if somebody created a fictional scientific universe, not based on any sort of other property, just something like the Alien movies, but did with it what Marvel is doing, and and just completely created from scratch a cinema treasure of of all of these different stories that take place in this world. Well, when you you know to. Mm. I was about to say, to a certain extent, that's what you have with the Star Wars movies. But again, those were always meant to be one story. Not right. not one story, but like it's like, okay, it's following the same characters for three movies. It was always meant to be a progression. But now right. every studio is trying to do the Marvel thing. But it's always based on something pre-existing. Like right. even the Ghostbusters universe, you know, yeah. which they're going to do, yeah. which is going to be ridiculous. But yeah. And incidentally, now that we're talking about this, uh, you can head over to BattleshipPretension.com and listen to an episode we did, I think, two weeks ago about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because it is, a, it is a, an, an anomaly and it's exciting. Like some people are exasperated and exhausted by the, sh- the sheer number of superhero movies. And many of them are of course, Marvel movies. And they just say, Oh yeah, they're just, you know, they just get so tired of it because oh, it's just the same old thing. And I get what they're saying. Um, and <clears throat> there are times when I look at the calendar for the next five years and just think, man, these are a lot of movies, but, and I don't like all of them, of course, but at the same time, like, it's such a neat thing. Like by the time the set by in time infinity war part two comes out, I'm sure Marvel, I don't know if that'll be the end of the current cinematic universe and they'll just reboot the whole thing. It's entirely possible. Could be. But by the time that's over, you can put all these movies together and yes, you can watch the separate franchises if you want, but you could put all the movies together and watch this fascinating little experiment, a very profitable one, of course. And I say little, it's not little, but you can do that. And by the way, you can also watch, Agent Carter, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and right, Daredevil. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's crazy. And ex- and to me, now, it may wind up being a studio thing. It may wind up being purely a financial decision. But I don't care because artistically, it's such an invigorating thing to see. Um, I felt this way about the original Lord of the Rings, that it's something they shot over a year. It was always meant to be three movies. It's not right. like they did. They made one. It was successful. And now here comes another one. They always meant for it to be this way. Right. And anytime something, and I, I in the same way, I'm kind of excited about, I was excited that way about Harry Potter, that it was such this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it seemed to run parallel to the books. Like, and after a while, the books, I have no doubt like JK Rowling, uh, Rowling as she was, uh, Writing the books, I'm sure she was influenced by the popularity of the movies. They ha- she had to be right, yeah, because she hadn't finished them by the time the first movie came out. I, f- I think, yeah, that, by, not at all. I think it was, and I haven't researched this timeline at all, so I, I could be completely wrong. But if I, if memory serves me correctly, I think that the movies, the first movie had been released before Goblet of Fire, the book came out. Yeah. So and there are so, still several books. Yeah. Um, and part of me wishes, cause I'm a tremendous fan of the Harry Potter books and movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the books marginally more, but I think the movies are very impressive. Um, the, uh, but I wish that I had gotten into it 
at the time. I, I came very late to both of them. Um, I saw the movies, the last three movies I saw in the theater as they came out. Mm-hmm. And I had read all of the books by that point. But I did not, I was not into the series at the time that it was coming out. I remember, uh, there were friends who had taken a day off work. They were, you know, because the new book came out, they were like, I am taking a day off. I'm going to buy this book and I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to read it. And I was like, really? I mean, it's exciting. I'm an avid reader. So I was excited to see something like that happening. But I, I, part of me wishes that I had been part of that whole sweep of things, which I, and, and I was, but didn't, realize it like i i heard of the books kind of but i my friends and i i was back in town for thanksgiving one year and my friends and i were looking for something to see and so it's like hey there's this uh harry potter movie let's go see that so we saw that and then those same friends and i was like hey there's another one the following thanksgiving let's go see it again (laughs) and then it's like i'm i'm really into this world i like it a lot and then the third one which is made by alfonso Cuarón, i think is Mm -hmm. a really wonderful film in its own right Uh, That really got me officially hooked. And from then on, I would see them usually opening day. And then the last three I saw, Jen and I would see uh, at midnight. Oh, Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was very much into it and very excited. And in the same way, to bring it back to uh, the Marvel Universe, um, there are – I'm trying to think if there is any that I – anticipate the way that I anticipated, you know, the next Lord of the Rings or the next, uh, Harry Potter. And maybe because they aren't necessarily sequels. I mean, some of them are, there's Iron Man two, three, you know, one, two and three. So those, right. those are sequels, but because they all see, you know, some of them seem to be happening concurrently and all that sort of thing. Right. Um, as opposed to consecutively, maybe for me, there isn't necessarily that sense of urgency, to see the next one like immediately it usually just has to do with do i am i interested in the movie uh and then also frankly like because i get press screenings for things and i usually for a marvel movie i'll usually take it so i've say i've seen i saw avengers uh thor the dark world and captain america the winter soldier all uh at press screenings, which it, which is still fun, but it's not as fun. Uh, strangely, it's fun seeing them earlier than everyone else. Not because you're better than there, but because like you don't have to worry about fighting crowds or anything. That's true, which is a big deterrent. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, but there is something to be fun, like just the 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 energy in the air at a midnight movie or seeing it opening day or something like yeah. that. That's something that I that I do kind of miss a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I can I can totally understand that. That I actually experienced you referenced earlier a little bit of the fatigue that people are beginning to experience from having and I think about this because I actually was in that camp after the release of the first <laughs> Avengers movie. Okay. Because I um, and I was thinking about it because I was like, man, I love su- superhero movies. I have always loved them. Um, they've always been on my radar anytime any version of one came out. I was really, I'll compare it to, to like Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy because Batman Begins comes out, a lot of, uh, excited anticipation for it. It's released and then you get like three or four years. I forget exactly what the time gap is, but it's a while before you get Dark Knight. Yeah. And then it's another three, four years before you get Dark yeah. Knight Rises. It went. 2005, 8, and 12. So, so yeah, about three about yeah. three years and then, you know, four years in between the second and third. Yeah. But with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're getting two a year. Yeah. They're basically. different stories, but you're getting two a year. And I was like, this is, this is saturated and a bit, it felt a bit overloaded. The one for me that brought me back into it, and I think it was just because 
they were fresh characters. But Guardians of the Galaxy sort of flipped me back into the mode where I began to anticipate these more and get excited about them. Like for Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, and Captain America Winter Soldier, I saw them once they had come out on DVD. I didn't see them in the theater. The rest of the prior ones I had seen in the theater... Actually, I take that back. I didn't see Iron Man 2 in the theater, but... Most of them I had gone to the theater to see. Yeah. And I stopped that after Avengers came out, again, because of that fatigue that I mentioned earlier. Um, but then I saw Guardians of the Galaxy in the theater, and that sort of retooled everything back. So my wife and I were incredibly excited to see Age of Ultron. Yeah. Um, you'll have to forgive me, and maybe uh, uh, maybe you might have to edit this out, but, but may I be allowed a, a very, very brief public service announcement? Sure. Uh, when we saw Avengers Age of Ultron... Um, my wife and I don't, you know, we, we live in Southern California. We don't get, you know, we don't get out to see movies as often as we would love to, yes. you know, we'd love you to have see a, you have a child as well. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. You have to pay for a babysitter and the movie tickets, which, you know, are $30,000. And so anyway, we, uh, you know, we don't get to do that very often. We had an opportunity to go see the movie and we took it. And in the row behind us were about seven or eight, uh, I'll say preteen to young teen children. Okay. Um, and I'm getting angry already. They, yeah. And they spent a good third of the movie, um, tickling each other, giggling at nonsense, yeah. uh, chattering, uh, the seats in this particular movie theater, uh, like when, whenever somebody would, would press down on them or when you would lean back, they would give very yeah. easily. So anytime anybody had to go up to use the restroom or get a concession or bother somebody else, they would pull on that and, and you know we'd be yanked back immediately yeah. um and so i really enjoyed age of ultron but i know that i probably would have loved it all the more if sure. it had not been for that and so my little brief public service announcement is please please if you are if, if you're going to the movies understand that there are probably people in that movie theater who don't get to do it very often yeah. and 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 please try to be i know that these were i know that these were kids and so there's, you know, a little bit of give there, but especially like they seemed to be unsupervised yeah. from what we could tell. Um, and, and I totally understand you want to let your kids go out to the movies and everything, but please teach them some proper etiquette. Like yeah. just if you're in the theater, like this is a, this is a paid experience. You're there, you're, you're trying to enjoy the movie. And the frustrating part about it, and my wife and I were talking afterwards, it's like there were some moments where even though we registered what was happening, and we saw the scene and we understood the scene. We couldn't get emotionally lost in the right. scene because we're still trying to keep our emotions at bay from what's happening around us. Right. Which is very frustrating. Yeah. I, uh, and I'll say, here's a story. Years ago, I was visiting my brother in Denver and, uh, he and my uncle were working on something, uh, at the house that required their time and attention and, uh, and my nephew was, uh, running around and then my brother's wife's daughter. So his stepdaughter, I guess, uh, she was also, and she's about the same age as my nephew. She was also running around. And, uh, so I said, Hey, uh, so like, do you want me to get like the kids out of your hair? Like, and go, I can go take them to see a movie or something. And my brother's like, that would be really great actually. Hmm. So I took him to go see a Christmas Carol, the, the Zemeckis film. Oh yeah. The one with Jim Carrey as Scrooge. Yes. And many others. Um, <laughs> as Scrooge and everybody else in the movie. Yeah. And so as I was driving there, I, it, it's Aiden and Maddie. That's, uh, that's my nephew and, uh, step niece, if you want to go that far. Um, and I said, okay guys, here's the deal. Here's the rule. You don't talk ever mm -hmm. during a movie. You can laugh. 
You can scream if you're scared. Mm-hmm. You cannot talk. All right. And like, okay. I was like, all right, I'm going to say it again in a few minutes. So I said it probably four times in the car. Yeah. As we got our concessions, I said, all right, guys, we're going into the theater. What are we not going to do? And they say, talk. I'm like, that's right. Why are we not going to talk? And they said, because it's rude and people want to hear the movie. And I said, that's correct. Darn right. And my hope is that as time, now, of course, uh, there was a guy a few years, uh, a few uh, rows behind us that was snoring rather loudly. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can't help that. And so, um, although I think I might have been like, Hey man, you're snoring. And he goes, Oh, I'm sorry. And then he was up the rest of the time. So sure. actually, yes, that is what happened. And, you know, in that instance, the person's not going to be rude. They're just, they feel, kind of bad oh of course um, yeah they're already a little embarrassed as opposed to if someone's talking that's a thing they're consciously doing and if you t- uh, if you say hey can you please be quiet they will get very defiant about it which uh, is what happened by the way oh of course oh yeah of course and so um yeah it's uh and you know what that's that is one of the pluses of these critic screenings is now admittedly with the marvel films everybody has a plus one so people will often bring their kids And the kid will sometimes talk, but not very much. And certainly not to this extent. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, it's just horrible. Yeah. And I've I've put out a public service announcement as a function of more than one lesson saying, stop talking. Yeah. But like, if your kid is talking, tell them to be quiet, like teach them etiquette. And I don't have children, but you do. Oh, yeah. So you can. So you know how this works. Oh, absolutely. We will be if if all things go according to plan. Uh, we will be taking my son to see his very first film this year. Okay. He's only three and a half, so we're going to see how it goes. But we're, we're Terminator Genesis, absolutely, absolutely. I was like, going to start him young. Okay, <laughs> yeah. this is yeah. this is used to be our governor, you know. Um, yeah. So, um, and we'll have a you know political conversation after. And he's like, Dad, what's that? It's like, oh, that's a joke that's been beaten into the ground, basically. Yeah. Um, so we're going to try to see, of course, Inside Out. He's very, okay. he's very taken with, he's seen all the other Pixar films and, yeah. and, and usually is very responsive to them. We think he's at an age where he can get it. The only, the only thing that worries me and I'm, I'm prepared and I've, my wife and I have talked about it to a, to a certain degree. It's like, okay, well, if he's, if he's getting too unruly, we'll have to just sort of bow out because you can't, yeah. you can't ruin it for the rest of the people. Right. Of course, he's three and a half and we'll have to understand if that happens, but we're going to try to stress to him like, Hey, you gotta be quiet. You gotta yeah. listen to it. You know, you can't can't get up and move around but usually if he's into a film then that's exactly what happens he sits yeah. there and he watches the movie um if he uh you know it's only if he gets sort of bored and i think with with something like inside out there's going to be a good shot that it's it's going to be visually interesting to him yeah. and and he's never seen anything on a screen that big so we're very excited yeah. about it we hope he could that get scared well. that's a possibility well that, that uh, a good friend of mine uh nate has has had has taken his kids to theater before and, and i think that happened with brave um, well brave uh, yeah. absolutely I got scared. <laughs> yeah, the, the big giant the bear, the yeah. bear that sleeps amongst human bones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it's a distinct possibility. We're we're ready for for most contingencies, but I think we're yeah. but primarily, and it's going to be on Father's Day weekend. I was like, this is this is perfect. There you this go. is you know e- even even if it doesn't go according to plan, which it's likely it will, but even if it doesn't go according to plan, I'm like, this is this is going to be a good shot to to make this happen. Yeah, uh, Jen and I when we went to see uh, Wally, there's I'll say this, there was a kid behind us that was talking, but we were actually okay with it because he was with his mom and what he was saying was in reaction to the movie. Like he was talking because he was engrossed in the movie and he's like, Oh, whoa. Oh no. What was that? 
you See, know and oddly enough i'm more okay with that i know I, that was that's a good it's i'm glad you brought that up because that's something that that i don't get offended at that's like yeah. you're you are engaging in a relationship with a movie yeah. that doesn't do what we said before about yeah. taking me out of the moment yeah. that reinvests me in the moment because you're responding to it and then yeah. i'll feed off that in a way it's no different i mean certainly i don't want someone like just talking at the screen or anything but it's no different than what i had told my nephew which is like you can laugh you can scream if something's scary right, right. you know like it shows that you're you're engaged in the film mm-hmm. and you're engrossed in the film and that yeah. sort of thing. Whereas when you know it's just two people like talking and laughing, it's like you, you you don't actually care what's happening on the screen. I care very deeply, and by the way, I also paid money to do it. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah. like, come on, this is ridiculous. So anyway, uh, we've gone off track, but that's <laughs> all right. It's, it, it never hurts to to uh, to restate that uh don't talk during movies and uh and the extension now is teach your kids proper theater etiquette absolutely so okay so to get back to avengers age of ultron um i'll say this uh so leading up to the film uh i was very excited uh it was a trailer that i loved i i loved oh yeah the use of pinocchio Mm -hmm. and just like how haunting it was and the idea of like there are no strings on me being a horrifying prospect. Like when it comes to like a killer robot that now is free and can do whatever it wants. Like that's such a neat idea. And I was very excited. I was excited by certain casting choices, namely James Spader. He was so as Ultron. And then, you know, about with, with the twins, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet, Witch. like when I looked at that casting, I was like, yeah, all right, who cares? Mm -hmm. Um, my thought was like, well, you're never going to get better. Then X Men uh, Days of Future Past when it comes to Quicksilver, so oh, I feel bad for them. Yeah, no kidding. Um, That's another side tangent we don't have to go on, but I, yeah, I, I really, really responded very well to that movie. I did too. Yeah, yeah. and that scene is one of the best scenes oh, in like any superhero movie or with maybe time in a bottle playing. Yeah, right? it's, it's such, oh a, such a neat idea. It's great. Um, and so, uh, and then the other thing that excited me, even though it's not necessarily a casting choice because the ca- the part was already cast, but it's such a novel idea, which was Paul Bettany mm-hmm. as Vision, which I think might be my favorite aspect of the film was everything they did with the character of Vision, which we'll talk more about later. Sure. But, so that's that's kind of what excited me was this the promise that it was going to be a little bit darker, not that darkness means it's going to be good, Man of Steel, but uh, <laughs> and then just the dystopian future that's going to be batman versus superman Ugh. Ugh. yeah we'll talk more about that that's another, another side tangent we don't have time to yeah, go maybe on. we wouldn't uh. be so maybe people wouldn't feel so fatigued by superhero movies if they weren't being like audibly assaulted by Zack snyder oh my so gosh. anyway um <clears throat> and it's interesting I'll, I'll actually bring up man of steel later on in this episode as well um, I have a lot to say about Man of Steel, so I'll yeah. Keep, maybe someday keep we'll some do a whole episode about <laughs> yeah. it because you know, Lord knows, there's plenty of Christ analogy in there. That's um, true. So, uh, so yeah, I was very much anticipating the film, uh, but then as as it got closer, mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, you know, this might not turn out great. Like this could be pretty bloated. They've got a lot of characters in here, and I just thought, and even on the drive to the to the screening, I brought uh, my wife along, and we were anticipating, like we were actually kind of, I could tell we were lowering our expectations hmm. because one thing that we both said is like there can't possibly be any character development when you're going to incorporate at least three new characters. You're going to be spent. You're going to spend so much time establishing them that you're not going to have any time to 
further develop the characters we already know. Mm-hmm. Um, so as the, as the film got closer at my expectations lowered quite a bit. And maybe that's a good thing because that particular thing that I just said, uh, turned out to very much not be the case. Oh, I, was, I agree. I was actually quite impressed by not merely the level of character development, but the characters they chose to develop, which I think was brilliant, but we'll talk more about that later. So by and large, it's a film that I really responded well to. It's not perfect. There's a lot of things that, again, it's a film that is a little bit bloated. So there are major plot points that I feel like they rush a lot. And I just, I remember thinking like, Oh, we're here already. All right, fine. Uh, I'll just be over here then. Um, but by the end, I really, I really enjoyed the movie. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't, I don't think I like it more than the first one. I think I like the first one quite a bit. But, I agree with uh, that. But yeah, so um, were, was this a movie? I mean, you actually went to see in the theater, so you must have been, anticip- been actually anticipating it. Certainly was, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I agree, it didn't quite hit the pinnacle that, that the first one did for me. I thought the first one was about the best job that they could have done with bringing together these these very big characters yeah. into a single um goal and uh and make it fun and make it engaging and add genuine conflict in there i I, yeah i thought the first one was amazing uh this one i felt like came close to it and as i've distanced myself from the frustrations we spoke of earlier i've reflected back on moments of the film and there are things that i really loved in age of ultron Mm -hmm. things that i thought like you referenced character development specifically i felt i thought that there were particular scenes which i'm sure we'll probably get into in specifics that um i thought this is a wonderful this is just a wonderful representation of both the dynamic these characters have together and where each of them stand individually. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if you want me to hold back from, from talking about specific moments, but, um, there, there is fine with jumping into it actually. Yeah. There's, there's one moment, uh, it may be, I don't know if it's my favorite sequence in the film, but it's second or third, if it's not my favorite. And that is, you know, the, the rebels after the battle. Sure. When, everybody is standing there's there's basically a sequence this doesn't spoil too much um but there's basically a sequence where they're all celebrating a victory and it's early in the film and each of them are sort of teasing thor mm-hmm. about his hammer yeah and uh and they each each of the male um superheroes take a shot at trying to lift thor's hammer yeah and i felt like that scene on its own was I loved that moment because it was, it was, first of all, it was a humorous insert in the midst of a yeah. barrage of action. Second of all, it actually, as a scene, does a pretty good job of doing what I had just expressed of like, this is, this is the dynamic of these people together. Yeah. And it also, as each of them tried, it reflected a little bit about who they are and where they are in this dynamic. Most notably when Captain America goes. Oh, because it, the whole idea is like, you can't lift that hammer unless you are worthy. Right. And, you know, Stark can't do it. Uh, uh, Hawkeye can't do it. You know, whatever. Gets to Captain America. He also can't do it. But he moves it a little bit. It nudges. Just a little bit. Not yeah. much. Just a little bit. Enough that, I mean, and maybe it's telegraphed a little bit too much that, that Thor is like, whoa, wait, hey, wait a second. <laughs> the you look know. on his face is so funny. Yeah. But I, what I, I love that I genuinely love that choice that like, mm-hmm. cause one thing that I've liked about the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general is like, I never thought that the character of Captain America would translate as well as he has oh, to wonderful. a very cynical, I had to put, use this term, 
post 9-11 view of like, yeah. the military and the right. U.S. Uh, military. You know, this guy who's very stars and stripes forever, you know, very uh, pro-America kind of guy. Uh, I would think he'd come off as cheesy, that they'd just make fun of him the whole time, which they kind of do when he talks about, like, language, you know. <laughs> oh, but, right. But I... But they've genuinely made him a very inspirational character. Absolutely. And in that little moment, you know, if anything, it's just like, why couldn't he move it more? It feels like he should. But you know what? That's fine. Yeah. You're right. It's like it, it, they're unified in this thing that they're doing together. But each one, both in their the attitude that they take in how they're trying to lift this thing and. And just and the 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 different way that they're trying to do it. Like, like, uh, Tony Stark puts on his Iron Man glove and like tries, <laughs> tries to use like, rockets to do it. And so, and it winds up being this n- really nice little thing throughout where, you know, they talk about like, you know, what if, you know, what if, uh, the hammer's in an elevator, elevator's still <laughs> going to go up, but yeah. elevator's not worthy, you know, <laughs> so which of course then makes for such a wonderful it's a payoff you didn't know was going to be a payoff oh, man. until vision picks it right up without knowing w- what it is or what it means oh yeah such a marvelous payoff yeah. and and not only the fact that inside the scene the that entire scene is about their skepticism of vision. Yeah. And they're, and they're, they're wondering whether or not, I mean, it, you know, you, we, I'm sure we're going to get into this a little deeper <sighs> later, but I mean, th- their, their whole idea behind this is, is vision a good idea or not? Yeah. Is this, you know, is this somewhere we can go? Is this, is this something we can trust? Um, do we have a choice? Anything like that? So, so all of those things are at play in the scene yeah. and the way you resolve it is to, this is, this is one of the more brilliant moments of an already very strong script, but, uh, the way you resolve it is by throwing it back to an amusing moment beforehand that you already expressed the dynamics and established so many things about these people. And so then exactly that, like, like you said, vision doesn't even know what he's doing. He's validating himself and bringing this team together in, in, in a beautiful way. That whole one, two punch. I think it's, I think it's my favorite thing in the movie. It's uh, that aspect. I'm a big fan of, uh, I mean, I recently rewatched uh, the Baba Duke, and we'll certainly talk more about it uh, around Halloween times. But one thing that I, uh, something I've come to really realize is when a, like I said earlier, when a film, it winds up being a callback, but it winds up being a payoff. It answers a question that we didn't even really know we were asking, but not in a in a ha- not in a way that it's just like, oh, let's just do this because uh, what else are we going to do? Like it establishes vision in a way that simply that his verbal assurances never could. And what's interesting is it comes at the tail end of a monologue where he's not assuring them. Right. He's saying like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a monster or not, but Mm -hmm. we've got something to do and we need to go. And I'll be quoting that line a little bit later, but, um, and it's like, it's, it's interesting because when the, when the other characters are trying to lift that hammer, that each of them are doing it because they have something they're trying to prove something about themselves right. to each other and they're doing it defiantly. He is doing he does it at the tail end of a monologue where he's he needs to prove himself but he's not trying to. Mm-hmm. And then he just does this with no self-consciousness at all. Like he he does it in all humility actually. And it's yeah. such a it's such a it's a genuinely beautiful 
moment. Like that's a, really that is. for me is like a goosebumps type of moment. Yeah, it really is. Um, and the film has a few of them and that's, that's what I like is that it's just, you know, it, it may not hang together perfectly well. Like when it, it, it often, it's a film that feels very segmented partially because they're traveling from to one place, then to another, then to another there. It's very, there's a, a globe trotting aspect to the story. And so naturally you're going to think in terms of, okay, this sequence is better than this one. Yeah. This sequence is better than this one. Uh, it's very, you know, segmented like that, but, um, thankfully, and this, I think it has to do with Joss Whedon, of course, that, uh, he understands that nothing unifies a film better than strong characters right. and a strong character dynamic. And the Avengers very much has that. Mm-hmm. And so, and you can tell they all have chemistry. They enjoy being around each other, but at the same time, there's still, even after the last movie, which you think would be unifying in a way that nothing else could be, uh, they still have their own personal agendas and their own personal issues. And that's something that I love, uh, yeah. that just because they're a team, just because they have assembled, though they've never used the word <laughs> notably, uh, just because they've assembled, it doesn't mean that they stop being individuals, both for both the positives and the negatives. Yeah. And so you're right. That opening sequence is kind of their dynamic in microcosm, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, to, to talk about some of maybe the individual elements and maybe individual scenes, you know, cause that's kind of how I think, uh, about this film. Uh, I do think, and I, I'm, I feel like I want to hold off on talking about Hawkeye because then in doing so, I'll be getting into the theme of the film. Of course. But, um, but yeah, uh, so I'll talk a little bit about the character of Ultron. I, I think they really rushed the introduction of, of Ultron, like between the wor- the first use of the word Ultron and him becoming a villain, there's like what three minutes. If that, a lot of it is montage yeah. of like, and it's basically like, Hey, uh, I'm working on artificial intelligence. Hey, okay. And then a montage where they've achieved it. Right. And it's like, this right. seems like a big deal. And I realize you got to get into it and you can't spend that much time. But at the same time, it felt very rushed yeah. to me. Um, but <clears throat> once Ultron is there and even the introduction of him where you don't, he doesn't have a physical form yet. He's just in the computer and he's genuinely confused. Mm-hmm. And then, and this is, this is a combination of perform of, of vocal performance and then physical. I don't know if it, if it was a motion capture type of performance or whatever, but either way, probably was. when Ultron first gets a body and it's this junked up bit of armor and he comes and talks and he first introduces himself to the Avengers the way they have the armor moving like it seems at times a little drunk it certainly seems confused and just trying to take everything in that it can yeah it genuinely feels like this character just got a body for the first time doesn't know how it works doesn't know how to take in the world uh and is trying to communicate things that scene I really in a way I almost I know it sounds strange but you know I realize you can't have this junky robot seeming um, particularly uh, frightening and intimidating. But that visualization of Ultron was for me much more effective than the, you know, eight foot tall bulky Ultron because Mm. he seemed so much more unstable uh, in the early design. But I understand why they need to, you know, evolve. uh, Sure. Sure. But um, 
and just the way they write Ultron, the way James Spader plays him um, with just because I remember at the time I I thought, and I think this so often. I even thought it like when they when I first heard that Robert Downey Jr. was cast as Iron Man, I remember thinking, "What? Mm. How's that going to work?" And it's like, well, it works because they're actually running counter to what you think a superhero will be. And I remember thinking, James Spader is a robot. That seems weird. Like he's just dripping with a certain type of humanity. Right. right. But then when you realize that the character is a is sort of a sp- is sort of the spawn of Tony Stark, who is himself smug and condescending right. and all of that. Uh, then it's like, okay, now I get it a lot more. And I and I'll say this about the Marvel Cinematic Universe: by and large, their villains have not been great. Yeah, I, I have a sen- I know who Red Skull is. Mm-hmm. I I know who Loki is. Yeah, that's, like I mean, I mean yeah. you know. Uh, None of the Iron Man villains. I think Jeff, I think Jeff Bridges does a really good job in the first film, and I enjoy Sam Rockwell in the second film. But that's because he's Sam Rockwell and he's awesome, right, um, right? But like, who? You know, I I didn't really get a sense of who Mickey Rourke was. You know, Guy yeah, Pierce. I got a really good ways. sense of who the Mandarin was, and then they <laughs> do certain <laughs> things with that character that I that I kind of love. Yeah, um, but you're my, either gonna love that choice or you're gonna hate it. And I and I kind of both, yeah. actually. Because I I love that they're willing to take that risk, but also I loved what Ben Kingsley was doing with his performance. It's like if that had been sincere, it would have been such a great character. Yeah. But anyway, um, but like you know, the villain in Guardians of the Galaxy is nothing. The 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 villain in Thor: The Dark World is basically the same guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, They just don't really do much with their villains, and whereas. I got a genuine sense of who Ultron was. Like mm-hmm. he had a real personality. He had goals that seemed not super developed, but whatever, you know, it's like, I'm going to destroy the earth after a certain point, all the villain goals are the same. It doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> One million dollars. Yeah. It's at that point, you know, yeah. and so I really like the character of Ultron. I, I, I even think that they did a pretty good job with the, with the twins developing them and mm. giving them a, they might introduce it in kind of a really clunky exposition way, but they, they deliver it well as far as the acting and, and that sort of yeah. thing. And so, so from a character standpoint, and again, I, we already talked about vision. I've, I, I often forget that Paul Bettany is as good an actor as he is. Yeah. He's really exceptional. Um, and I think it's because like his career is this weird thing where he's always been sort of under the radar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's amazing in master and commander. I really like him. Still haven't seen that. Oh, I need, it's marvelous. Yeah, I need to see that movie. Boy, it's, I just got it uh, on Blu-ray. Perhaps we can watch it together and be best friends. That would be wonderful. Um, I've been dying for you to be my friend for a while. Oh, I, I, we're already friends. Oh. You watch Master and Commander together, you're best friends. Oh, this is awesome. This so, is uh, Christmas and then, list on, done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christmas comes earlier this year. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and then he was in A Beautiful Mind, which I thought, yeah. I didn't love the movie, but I thought he was great in it. He yeah, just, he has a very distinct on-screen presence that I really respond to. Mm. And he does, it, this sounds strange, he can have a very otherworldly screen presence in the mm. sense that, you know, it's worth noting that in the terrible film Legion, like he plays an angel, there's a yeah. quality to him that seems somehow emotional and yet detached from what's happening that I think is perfect for vision. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And he, he exudes a sort of, uh, it's funny because as, as the character of vision, he exudes a sort of, 
I don't know if purity is really the right word, but he's he's very focused yeah. uh, and and almost leaning towards innocence, but 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 not to the point to where he's uh, you know naive about what's happening. Right. He he understands what the stakes are and understands what his role in those stakes are. At least, and again, we referenced earlier that he's kind of trying to feel out i don't know what i am or you know i yeah. don't know if i'm a monster I, i'm not quite sure but he he always sort of has this yeah i keep coming back to that word i think that's the right one he he has a sort of purity to him as yeah. a character that's refreshing and i think you're right that bettany himself being a little bit detached in his method brings a really believable quality to that role yeah. um that that i think i can't see anybody else in that part. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, okay, so in Master and Commander, his character is sort of a scientist. Okay. He has also played Charles Darwin. Then he played a, an angel in Legion. He plays this kind of strange character in Avengers. He, and, and, then, and then in uh, A Beautiful Mind, his character is not real. Yeah. You know, it, right. it, the character is more of an idea than an actual person. Like, it's odd that, like, and and so in playing scientists, he's playing characters that look at the world a very specific kind of way. Right. And so it is odd. And to me, like one of the best scenes, like vision factors into a lot of really great scenes. Mm-hmm. And the last scene between him and Ultron oh, wow. is, first off, I, I think Joss Whedon, like, I don't know how, but he knows how to write vision. Like he's got it down. Uh, I, I think he feels invigorated by it that like, oh, I get the opportunity to write you know, so far, like it's, it's such, there's such banter, um, going on throughout the film that to have a character who is above that, but, uh, but also yearning to understand it, yeah. uh, winds up being such an interesting idea. And then to have Ultron and Vision talking at the end, and then there's a little bit of banter, but it feels so wonderful. And it's the last, the la- last line, last exchange between them is when, Ultron says, you know, you're unbearably naive. And then he says, well, I was born yesterday. And he says it, he says it knowing that it's a funny line, but it's also done so matter of factly. I can't, I cannot get over just how great. Yeah. That I think the look of vision, I mean, you know, I've seen him in the comic books. Like that's a character that might not have translated well to real life. Yeah, of course. Um, but like the look of vision is good. The way he's written is good. The way he, is played as good in a way it's appropriate that in the film, the character arrives fully formed and the character as uh, in, in the story of the film, he's fully formed. And in the film itself, he's fully formed. Like yeah. that is a character that I feel like, and partially maybe because we've known, we've heard Jarvis for right. several since films. The first, yeah. Since the first Iron Man. So right. I think there might be that to a sense of familiarity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I, that, is that to me is one of, I mean, people have a lot of issues with the film. I don't know anybody that does not like the way Vision was conceived. Hmm. That's interesting. What are I, I don't know if this, if we have time to get into this, but like, what are some of the things that people complain about with the film? Um, I mean, they talk about you know just general overload uh, of action okay. and trying to fit too many different types of things. Like, there's no particular reason that the Iron Man and Hulk fight needs to be in there. Oh, I see um, what you e- mean. Yeah. Except that it's you know maybe a little bit of fan service. People wanted to see that Hulkbuster armor and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, <clears throat> but even then there winds up being a nice little payoff because 
Stark and Banner talk about Veronica. Right. Early on right. in the film, and you have no idea what it is. And then when they say, and then when you find out what it is, and the idea that Banner helped design it, that mm-hmm. he designed this armor designed to hurt him. Right. Yeah. You know, or stop him. Like such, that's such a neat idea. So yeah. even within that, and I'll use this to, we were talking about Man of Steel earlier. Yeah. One big complaint that people had about that movie, including me, is its complete indifference towards collateral damage. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember, and I, I, it always struck me as like really not in keeping with the character of Superman. But then people said like, well, well what about the first Avengers? There was all kinds of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but Captain America and other, and other characters were constantly trying to like, save people like they were interacting with the police they were trying to like block people off they were doing what they could and then in this movie tenfold they have such a they have like to the extent that like captain america may he refuses to make the choice of like you know the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few right right. it's like okay we're gonna try and take care of the many Mm -hmm. but in the meantime we're not gonna try we're not gonna sacrifice the few uh and just and and he basically does the you know he's attempting to do the impossible because as a hero that's what his job is yeah and i feel like that's a thing that i really respect about this movie um but anyway to, but yeah to go back to some of the critiques like that that it is overfull and that they don't really develop I know that I have some friends who don't who think Ultron's plan is a little harebrained, which fair enough. Again, okay. when it comes to the specifics of a plan, I never care. Um, right. But uh, and just that, you know, in the end, it's just OK. Well, in the first Avengers, they were fighting all these uh, faceless aliens. Now they're fighting faceless robots. It's basically the same thing over and over. Yeah. And I get that, too. Um, well, I think it's, it's funny. The complaint about Ultron, I, not to try to be too bumper sticker esque here, but like, I think when it comes to films in general, Mm. yeah, I think I will, I think I will make the statement as broad as all of cinema goals matter to me far more than plans. I don't Mm -hmm. care how the character plans to get there. I care where they want to go. Yeah. And if they don't have a distinct goal as a character, then they don't feel real. Yeah. They have something that they want, even if they just want to want something, which I know sounds a little abstract, but that doesn't matter to me. Ultron has a very distinct goal. No, he doesn't have a, a very fleshed out plan. And it's like, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing, but I never felt in the film, like I misunderstood what he was trying to do. Right. Um, how he was trying to get there. I, I completely agree. I wouldn't defend that, but, but yeah, I felt like he, he's definitely has a distinct path that he's, that he's walking. And admittedly, you know, a, a character, specifically a villain, the nature of their plan and how it's implemented can reveal a lot about the character. Like mm. I think of Hans Gruber okay. and Die Hard. Right. Not merely his goal, but the way he's putting his plan into effect, it, that can reveal a lot about him. But it, not always, not necessarily. And in this sure. case, the goal of Ultron is much more important than how he's going to go about it. That's true. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a perfect film, and, and there are times when I start to feel just a little bit numb to some of, the, some of the action that's going on. But by and large, I think Joss Whedon has a good instinct for that, and I think he knows roughly when people are going to start getting a little bit tired of this. And then he'll change, 
even within like a climactic action sequence, you know, where they're fighting all the robots and stuff, it's like, okay, uh, we've seen people fighting robots for a while now. So we're going to change the dynamic. Now we're going to focus on saving people. Yeah. Now we're going to do that. Okay. We've been doing that for a while. We've shown that these people are going to be saved one way or the other. Yeah. We're good. So now it's back to the robots, but now they're working more as a team as opposed to individuals and stuff like that. And I think that comes down to what you were talking about in showing the group dynamic, but also focusing on individuals because, because Iron Man is going to fight the robots a lot, you know, a lot different than Hulk will. Absolutely. And so by, and but then if you put them all together, like there's a really neat moment when uh, Iron Man, Vision, and I think Thor are all just blasting Ultron with like oh, lasers and stuff. Yes, and yes. that's a lot of fun to see, <clears throat> oh, you yeah. know, and they and they, you know, they don't completely neutralize him. But then in maybe a scene that's a little bit too close to the first Avengers where, you know, Hulk shows up and then just knocks him out you know oh yeah um it's like oh that seems a little bit too much like the loki thing but uh i do remember that do you remember I, like, I re- and i remember like, thinking like oh they're 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 going for the same sort of moment yeah which you're never going to recreate that hulk loki yeah, moment absolutely that's not. that was special yeah <laughs> and you're never gonna you're never gonna get that again but i, I did feel like they were kind of trying for that yeah um there's one thing that i remember sitting in the theater thinking the sequence when you know and and it, this was another good sort of call out thematically is that earlier you know when captain captain america it feels like his primary beef with what stark has done is about the fact that he did it alone and that he did it acting yeah. independently. And so he's like, you know, then we make these decisions together. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's not overemphasized, but it's hit pretty hard. Captain America's like, we'll do it together. Like we stand yeah. or fall together. And, uh, and so I loved when they're all, you know, everything's about to hit the fan. They're yeah. all there. We've got, you know, uh, all actors are in play. You've got yeah. vision there. The twins are on board. Now you've got everybody in that little circumference at that, at that church site. And then that probably 15, 20 second sequence. It might've gone on for a minute. I don't know. I just felt really brief, uh, where the camera is slow panning to all of the Avengers being the Avengers. Yeah. That, and I remember saying to my wife afterwards, I was like, you're only going to get that in these kind of movies. Yeah. You're never going to get it anywhere else. That's, that's particular to these movies and it's wonderful. Yeah. As it's, I mean, Joss Whedon also has, as a director, he has a really, he understands, uh, iconic moments. Yes. Now the first Avengers has a few, one of them of course being that, I mean, as far as iconic moments, like, of I'd say the last 10 years, it's hard to beat the camera swirling around the Avengers oh, as they are officially together. now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the idea, but, and that comes right after a really nice iconic moment when banner becomes Hulk and then knocks oh, out that giant thing with my favorite line in the movie, such a favorite wonderful yet somehow heartbreaking line. Yes. Um, oh yes. And in this, it's the same, it's the same thing. Like you see the camera in slow motion, just swooping through the Avengers as they're just taking these things out each in their own specific way. But then there's also a nice moment where the camera swoops upwards Mm-hmm. And you see, and you're looking down on them and you see them in a circle around this one thing that they cannot let the robots get to under yeah. any circumstances. And so 
in that, and you just, in that moment, like they seem very unified mm-hmm. uh, as well. And that's, that's one of the things that I just, I love so much about Joss Whedon. And, and he, this is the last Marvel movie he's going to make. He's, he's yeah, been very yeah. clear about it. And I think that's a bummer, but I think he has set, I think he has set the standard so high now that I think whoever comes after when it comes to making like, you know, the group films. And while, while Captain America Civil War is not officially Avengers movie, officially an Avengers movie. Might as well be. It's it only might missing. as well be. They're all basically there. Yeah. It's only missing. It's literally only missing Thor and Hulk in the, in the cast. Yeah. And who knows? They might show up. Oh, and that's <laughs> the thing. Like if they're making an argument about like how dangerous superheroes can be, I could see Hulk making an appearance. Yeah. At least um, in reference. Yeah. If not, if not actually being there. So yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, it, it is, it is invaluable the contribution that Joss Whedon has made, not merely to the Avengers franchise, but maybe to all of superhero movie, uh, the superhero movie genre. I wouldn't disagree. Um, he's it's it's hard to beat, and so um, you know, and in the same way, I find myself wondering if Guardians of the Galaxy. And don't get me wrong, I thought James Gunn. I think James Gunn is a very good director. Yeah, but like from a team standpoint, would that have worked as well as far as dynamics if Joss Whedon had not hit it out of the park with the first Avengers? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to think if there's uh, other things that I particularly like. Um, I do like that Hulk Iron Man fight. I wasn't expecting to. I really yeah. thought it was like, okay, this is going to be tiresome. But I like it a lot. Um partially because like there's humor to be found in there. Uh, Downey has some good lines, yeah. just some little, little call outs. You know, my favorite being, Oh, forgot. Don't mention Pewdie banner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, there's, there, there's some great. Uh, and then when he's, when he's like hitting him repeatedly, go to yeah. sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. It's yeah, yeah it, it's wonderful. And I think my favorite moment is when, he just bashes Hulk in the face and Hulk spits out a tooth and it just cuts to Robert Downey Jr. just saying very quietly, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and just knowing that like, this is not going to go well for me. Yeah. It's, it's a really, it's a really fun sequence. Yeah, um, really And is. I do like that they make Hulk look particularly crazed. Yeah. Uh, and they even, again, like this shows the, the, the heart that Joss Whedon brings to it. When Hulk is basically, in that rubble and he can break out at any moment, but it, but just for a moment, he, even though he's in this craze and all that kind of thing, he's looking around at the, at the rubble and at the people running away from him. And by the way, people, people running away from something as, as buildings fall and as smoke comes in, like it's very nine 11 imagery. Yeah. And I feel like the first Avengers did a good job to avoid that. Mm-hmm. I think this one, even as they're fighting in the midst of a city, avoid it, avoids it. It's worth noting that the one time that he has utilized it is that moment. Like when I saw that, I was like, that's nine 11 imagery, which right. I'm not opposed to a movie using if it is earned. And sure. in that moment, I think it is earned because Hulk is seeing just how, and not even banner banner already knows, yeah. but Hulk now is aware of just how monstrous he is. Yeah. And it's a really nice moment, I thought. Yeah. Which and that actually uh, again, I don't I don't know. I want to be respectful. It's a relatively it's it's still out relatively recently. I want to be respectful about spoilers and oh, stuff. Yeah. We're, you know, we've talked we've talked about quite a bit. I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, it's yes. I'm assuming that you've seen it. Sorry everybody. Yeah, no, and 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 I apologize as well if I <laughs> if I spit out some things that you would rather not have known. But maybe I'll put it in the episode description that there are spoilers. Yeah. Um and and so if if we're just going down that track, I'll talk about things I loved. That what you just described about Hulk registering it is 
one of my more emotional moments is his decision at the end. Yeah. When he's in stealth and you hear, you know, kind of, kind of a, you know, blink and you'll miss it type of moment, but you hear her say, I can't track you in stealth mode. And then he just decides, well, then you're not going to track me. And, and, and it's interesting to me, Banner would have made that decision already, but he doesn't Hulk does. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I feel like, you were talk, we we're talking about character development earlier. That's a that's a powerful thing to do with that character because even in the original Ed Norton one, I don't think there has ever been a a movie version of the Hulk that has done that with the character not being Banner. Almost everyone has done it when they're Banner. I do think that Angley's Hulk. There are a couple moments when Hulk. It's not that he's like deeply aware of what he has done, but it's more like there are moments of like peace when he's still the Hulk, but he's like, he seems mournful, but he seems more just mournful about his situation Hmm. than what he does to people. I gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and that's something that they've made no announcements, but I feel like what, with what they've been doing with the character, I feel like they they could probably do a planet a planet Hulk movie, right? You know I what that so. is? Yeah, I know all about Planet Hulk. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, it, I don't read comics as frequently as I would love to. Uh, yeah. Most of that is is for economic purposes. But uh, the uh, I did happen to read most of the Planet Hulk run in the comics, and I thought it was a fantastic story. It's probably my favorite story that that I've read of the Hulk in the last. Mm-hmm. 10, 15 years easily. Um, and I feel like it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very accessible to do yeah. something like that as an individual movie. They did make yeah. a, uh, an animated version of it. Yes. Which I saw. Yeah. Um, and it I, wasn't bad. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it would be interesting to see them do something like that with live action. I think it, it would be such, first off, it would just, I feel like it would feel so different. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I don't know. It's this character. We've already established space characters with Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. and Thor, but now it's this character very much out of his element, but in a way very much in his element mm-hmm. because he, you know, lands on this like battle type, battle torn planet and stuff. And so it'd be neat if they did that. Like, I don't think Hulk is going to get his own movie, but if he ever did, that's the one to do. I agree with that. Um, yeah. But, uh, because he's just, he's too indestructible here. Mm hmm for for there to be really any stakes at all yeah i agree um so yeah uh maybe one or two other things that i like um from a character and and plot standpoint um uh andy circus's character as ulysses claw now i didn't know much but uh, about the character of black panther i know very little as well but even i could tell like okay they're going to africa and here is a very specific type of villain who just lost his arm. His last name is Claw. <laughs> I'm like, I get the feeling there's going to be he, this character is going to show up in a in a larger capacity in another movie. And it's like, and they're in Africa, so my guess is he's going to be the villain in the Black Panther. Black film. Panther. Yeah, I think you're. And right. but I like the way his character's written. I like the way he's played. One of the things that I like is that he's actually fairly small time. Like he's a, hmm. he's just like a very low level guns dealer and warlord. Yeah. And I like the idea that, you know, he might not pose a huge threat to the Avengers, but in the world of Black Panther, he might. 
you know, right, quite a bit. Right. And so that's something that I, that I hope the Marvel Cinematic Universe does as they go on is they change the scale of certain things, you mm-hmm. know, while I really appreciated the change of tone and in many cases, the change of genre in winter soldier, which yes. felt like an espionage thriller. Yeah. Yeah. It really did. By the end, you know, you've got, again, you've got like climactic, you know, the, the hella, right. the hella carrier or whatever falling out of this guy. You got this giant stuff. And as it's one of the things that I like about daredevil, it's all very small. Hmm. I still and, need, I still Oh, you love that. it. You would love it. Yeah. It's, it, that's pretty, that's, pretty unanimous in terms of what I've responsible when I say, yeah, I haven't checked it out yet, but I really, I know I really need. And to. as far as Marvel villains, Kingpin's my favorite of all of them. So, oh, really? So far. Interesting. Vincent Nofrio is doing wonderful work. But anyway, so I like the character of Ulysses Claw, even though we saw very little of him. Uh, and then as far as plot goes, I will say instinctively, you know, the part of me that is, uh, you know, I guess kind of a completist part of me didn't like that. They killed Quicksilver. Yeah. But I understand why they did, because the one one complaint that people have about superhero movies is that no one ever dies. You always know who's going to win. And yes, of course, we know the Avengers are going to win, but there needs to be a cost. Yeah. And the cost is Quicksilver. Now, we don't know him very well. He was only introduced in this film, but I got a pretty good sense of who he was and the way that he goes out is heroic and Certainly. self-sacrificing, specifically of a character that he's had something of a beef with earlier. Yeah. And it's a nice moment. And then we see the the impact that it has on the Scarlet Witch character. As yeah. Well. I was going to say that's going to hopefully provide some some depth, some additional depth to where she's going to go. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and, her, her little scene with Ultron is pretty rough too there at the end when yeah. she rips out his heart. Oh yeah. No <laughs> kidding. No kidding. And I also loved, uh, just <coughs> when she, it's, it's, as I'm thinking back on the film, as you know, like anytime you watch a movie, you think back on it and probably four or five, unless you're thinking about something or searching for something specific, about four or five little snapshot moments come back mm-hmm. to you. And one of the few that comes back when I'm just searching through my memories of the film is her emergence for the, you know, the side of good. Like yeah. when she comes out uh, and it's after that, that really, I thought wonderful little pep talk from Hawkeye, yeah, which we'll definitely be getting more into later. Yeah. And, and like, and then she, when she steps out of there and you see her hands ablaze, yeah. I was like, this is, this is impressive. It's impressive on all fronts. Um, and I feel like having her brother die after they've just made this decision, yeah. uh, could really take her to some interesting places in the films that lie ahead. I don't know how much, how many plans they have for her, yeah. but I know she'll be a part of them. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do with her at this point. Yeah. And, uh, and I think Elizabeth Olsen is a strong enough actress that she can pull off whatever the mm-hmm. character needs to certainly, I mean, again, in that scene with Ultron, like she has to be pretty intense and yeah. she is. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so to get into not necessarily the theme, but I'll talk about maybe my favorite element. Vision's probably my favorite element of the film, but uh, a close second is it, it is a ver- borderline genius move for me that of all the characters they decide they want to develop in this film, they focus in on Hawkeye. Yeah. Uh, though I don't think he's ever officially called that. I think he's called, uh, Clinton. They call him Barton. Barton most name of the is, time. His, yeah. his name is Clinton Barton. And so they developed the character, not just in showing 
more about him. They show his wife, they show his children, you know, and his little farmhouse and that sort of thing. Um, so they show that he, unlike a lot of the other people has something to lose. Yeah. Um, but they also really, okay. So as I put in my, my written review, when I first saw, I think the trailer for the first Avengers, I saw it with Jen Mm. and she made a joke but it's true where she's like, what's bow and arrow guy going to do, <laughs> you know? And cause she doesn't, she didn't know the names of characters, yeah. but like, and it's, that's the thing It's like, yeah, you've got Hulk who's virtually indestructible. You've got Thor who's a demigod. You've right. got Captain America who's, you know, a super soldier. And then you've got Iron Man who can fly and shoot lasers and has armor. Mm. And in the midst of all this, like what can one guy who is certainly at the peak of his physical ability? Certainly. Um, but he's fighting robots mm-hmm. and he was fighting aliens. Like this is, I think it's safe to say this is beyond him. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It is also beyond, uh, black widow. Like right. they're the two right. like normals, yeah. you know, again, operating at peak physical condition, but like, uh, to focus, but they give her stuff to do because of her relationship with uh banner. Yes. And so, and I like that a lot. Um, and people have said, uh, d- just to address some stuff that we certainly talked about on Battleship Pretension, there are people that had a problem with like the way Black Widow was depicted. They're like, oh, of course they got to get involved in a romance. And, you know, she's the one who has to be saved. And Mark Ruffalo tweeted, he's like, you know, it's interesting. He's like, I always thought and in that relationship, the banner's the one being saved, you know, mm. by her. Yeah. And uh, that's something that I appreciate and that I agree with. Like, they are very much equals. She is never... She never strikes me as a damsel in distress. Like she is often one to like help other people Yeah. in the first Avengers. She's the one that figures out how to close the portal and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, but she is always a vulnerable person. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And then people also said that like, like, Oh, is she, Oh, she's a monster because she can't, uh, because she chooses to, uh, uh, Oh, what's the word? Not not like have her tubes tied, but basically she's like infertile. They uh, oh yeah, what they did to her when she was in her training yeah, yeah. or anything, yeah, which is alluded to tastefully in the movie. But yeah. but yeah, they, but basically they, you know, they made it so that she can never have children, she can never have a family. Yeah, um, and yeah, and people said people got mad at that because like oh well, she's choosing not to do this very feminine thing in favor of like you know her work, and it's just like hey jerk. Her work is murdering people. Yeah, yeah. And by and like, also she was so young, and she's basically been brainwashed by these assassins. Yeah, there's a lot of other like, factors. This is hardly her choice. Mm-hmm. And also, if you want to look at the basics, she's and I've said again, I've said this elsewhere, but like she's giving up the ability to create life so that she can better take life. Yeah, like that yeah. is the opposite of human. Which one could say the opposite of a human is a monster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. like, if you want to look at it that way, like, yeah, you can turn it into this big feminist thing. If you want, like, Oh, she's it's like, Oh, she chose career over family. What a monster. Like her career is murdering people. Yeah. Like yeah. look at the actual character, you know, stop bringing your own general stuff into right. this film right. and look at the film as it is. And, and, um, st- and, and address the characters for what they have working for them. Like even getting back to the whole, like frustration about the romance thing. Like, here's what I find 
I, I loved the fact that they developed something between the two of them, and for a reason uh, that stems back to the original Avengers film. Yeah. In the first Avengers film, uh, if you'll remember that when he first hulks out, yeah. and he's under the influence of the scepter, they made, Whedon made a point to show a couple of shots, and, and good for Scarlett Johansson, because she really, she really played it up well, where you can tell this perfectly capable person who has been in life and death situations before is terrified. Yeah. Terrified of this thing that is coming at her. And so that we see her in as that in that dynamic with the Hulk in the yeah. first film. Now we see her pursuing him yeah. in, in full knowledge of the capability and even sort of acting as like she helps bring him out of these states and everything yeah. like that. I thought, I, and again, we could go on to unnecessary tangents about the, the biases that even we bring into the sure. film and that other people bring into the film. But I thought, what a, what a strong choice that yeah. she would choose to get into a relationship with this person. I don't see, I don't see her getting romantically involved with Banner as as uh, a weak choice for that character at all. I think that's that's a step forward in really um, progressing. Just a. a a strength for for both of them for yeah. him to allow himself to let somebody else in and for her to brave the dangers that we see that accompany a relationship with him yeah it's it's a very i i i i've really liked what they've done with the black widow character i like what scarlett johansson has brought to her like yeah. making her tough and yet still like feminine like not playing too and under and then the character understanding what she, how she can utilize her femininity and her yeah. like sultry, you know, her attractiveness, like to bring other, to like lure other people in. Like in the first Avengers, she has a wonderful moment where she one ups Loki. Yeah. She manipulates yeah. his expectations of her being a weak woman. Yeah. You know, and it's a wonderful moment because it looks like what he's saying is like bringing her almost to tears. And then it turns out, no, she was, she was in control the whole time. Yeah. She was playing him, you know, and it's a, it's a really great, it's a really great character i like what they do with her but to get back to to hawkeye um yeah so to to go to what to you what you were saying there there are a couple of things that i wanted to from a thematic standpoint that i wanted to talk about in this episode uh one is the idea of people being monsters Hmm. and i'll get to that in a moment but but also what i want to talk about is the nature of courage Hmm. and heroism and bravery and that sort of thing because when you understand that black widow and uh hawkeye but we'll talk mostly about hawkeye that they are the least qualified to be there Mm -hmm. but they still are there you know hulk's never gonna die no ever he is not going to be hurt thor probably not either Captain America could still be seriously injured, as could Stark. But because of aspects about them, it's less likely. Right. Uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye, they can absolutely be hurt and killed. <clears throat> Even accidentally, they could probably Even, yeah, just, yeah. just get wiped out. Yeah. yeah, they could merely jump from one place to another and break their ankle. Like, that's yeah. conceivable, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know? But they still choose to be there. Why? Well, they are trained to be there. Mm-hmm. But also they have the will to be there. You know what I mean? And so they are stepping up where so many other and they understand the threat. They are stepping up where so many other people wouldn't. And that to me is genuine heroism. There's a wonderful excuse me. There's a wonderful line that is very 
It got laughs in the theater, and it is funny, but it also shows a deep awareness on the part of Hawkeye when he says, the city is flying and we're fighting an army of robots, and I have a bow and arrow. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's very funny, and Jeremy, Jeremy Renner hits it out of the park because he manages to be funny. Yeah. And also show that, like, look, I get it. Mm-hmm. I know that I shouldn't be here, but I am here, and... That's all that matters right now. Right. Um, and if I took the time to really let it sink in, then I, you know what? I'm leaving. Yeah. You know, the city's flying and we're fighting an army of robots and I all, and all I have is this, Mm -hmm. but it's all I have and it's what I can do. It's what I have to work with. And it's a really nice moment. And it comes right in the middle of this other thing that we were talking about. Um, you know, one thing that keeps coming back over and over is the, the, the use of this word monster. Yeah. Ultron refers to the, uh, the Avengers as a bunch of monsters mm-hmm. for various reasons. You know, Hulk is probably the closest that one could come. Yeah. But also just, you know, uh, Captain America has like a very amusing line where he says, where they're talking about the twins and he, he's like, oh, yeah, he goes, what kind of what kind of maniac would let a German scientist experiment on him for <laughs> the, the good of his country? You know, and he's referencing him like things yeah. could have gone just as wrong with him as as anybody right, else. And right. so and then Stark is deeply aware of the things that the choices he's made in the past mm-hmm. um, that has caused all kinds of death and destruction. You know, like the twins wouldn't have their vendetta if not for choices that he and his company had made. Absolutely. So he's also kind of a monster. Thor, not so much. In fact, I will say one thing that I don't really like that much about the movie is that Thor is not utilized very well from a character mm. standpoint. There comes a moment when he he like seeks out Stellan Skarsgård, who's always a welcome presence in the films. Certainly. I love him. Certainly. Uh, and then they go to this like vision pool. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, where it is, or what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Is that on Earth? <clears throat> Seems like there'd be a, it'd be weird to have a vision pool on Earth, but if it's not, why is Stone Skarsgård there? Like, did they take him to Asgard? Like, yeah, they, it's not contextualized yeah, very well. They really rush that quite a bit. Yeah. But when he comes back and he understands what vision is and he like completely commits to it, that's helpful. You know mm-hmm. that that tells us about his character and what he and that when he believes something, he's going to go for it completely. Um, but Thor is not much of a monster. He's, he, you know, as we see through some of his worst fears, like he may be kind of an egomaniac who's not maybe that interested in helping his people. Right. Um, right. so the question then is like, you know, monsters. And so Captain America has a line where he says, this isn't about beating Ultron. It's about proving we're not monsters, you know? And uh, that's such an interesting idea. It's like, to him, it's like, well, you can, the, I think the idea is that they're, that they're one in the same, really. Like the mm. harder we fight against evil, the clearer it is that we're not, you yeah. know? And I think, I think both Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch absolutely understand that idea. Certainly. To get back to this idea, um, that, uh, Hawkeye is talking to Scarlet Witch and she is overwhelmed by, the role that she has played in Ultron's plan. And in the midst of it, she's like doubting herself and, and all that. And Hawkeye says, it doesn't matter what you did or what you were. 
If you go out there, you fight and you fight to kill. Stay in here, you're good. I'll send your brother to come find you. But if you step out that door, you are an Avenger. Mm-hmm. And it's such a wonderful moment. And it's, and that clearly is a thing that in its own way, it's a thing that he's had to tell himself. Yeah. This comes right on the heels of the bow and arrow line. Yeah. You know, it's like, I am this. It doesn't matter what I was. Like, he was never really a villain, though at one point he was under Loki's control in the first film. Right. Like, it opens that way. Yeah. With him being taken under yeah. control. And his, and, and it's, and it's so like in the first film, it's so disheartening to see his considerable skills being used against the Avengers. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, this feels wrong. Like I'm rooting against him and I don't mm-hmm. want to. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. But, uh, so yeah, this, the, the pep talk that he's giving her, it's basically this idea. It's like, it doesn't matter what you were. I mean, of course it can matter because there are consequences, but the issue now is what are you doing about those consequences? Right. Are right. you doing your best to work against them? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the idea that that is in itself a form of bravery to bring these two ideas together, because it would be very easy for them. Because, you know, once they realize what Ultron's plan is and the role that they played in it, they could have just said, like, OK, I've ruined everything. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the Avengers what's going on. And then I've played my part and I'm going to get out of here before I make things worse. Right. Right. But they don't do that. They make the choice to confront not merely evil, but the evil that they helped perpetuate. Yeah. And that is, I think that is a form of bravery because it means facing what they've done and who they were mm-hmm. and who they potentially possibly still are. And I think from a Christian standpoint, that's a thing that, that we can relate to, but it occurs to me now that I have not talked about the companion film. Oh. Um, which is uh, Robert Aldrich's 1967 film, The Dirty Dozen, mm-hmm. which I have not seen for a while, but uh, there was no question in my mind that that was going to be the companion film. Yeah. Um, and it's worth noting that the original, that the episode that we did on the original Avengers, uh, the companion film was The Magnificent Seven. So both Dirty Dozen and Magnificent Seven is about like these very disparate people coming together for this one right. cause. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, one is a war movie. One is a Western, you know, kind of very American type of, uh, genres. Right. Um, so, and the reason I picked it for those that don't know, dirty dozen is about in uh, world war two, a battalion of criminals, uh, who are, who are incarcerated. And I think a good number of them are either life in prison or they are scheduled to be executed. Most of them are scheduled to be executed. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's this feeling of like, well, we got nothing to lose. Let's get these guys together and take them in, you know, and kind of treat them sort of in a suicide squad Mm -hmm. to coin a phrase, uh, (laughs) type of way. And just, and the film's about whipping them into shape, uh, and dealing with their personalities. And these are guys who aren't necessarily striving for redemption at first. And many of them really aren't throughout. They're just looking for, you know, maybe a ticket out of uh, their situation. Um, but I think, uh, you know, and you've seen it more recently than I have. So I, yeah. actually, I'll let you talk about this. Uh, yeah. What did you think of the film? Well, it's funny because you'd rewatched it, right? Yeah, I rewatched yeah. it. I rewatched it about a, a, a week and a half ago. And the, the, the first time that I saw it, um, I really enjoyed it a lot. 
Uh, I'll be honest that when it came time, I knew we were going to be talking about it. I wanted to revisit it because I couldn't remember a lot about it. And to be honest, I was mildly putting it off because I was like, it's a long movie. It's like two and a half hours. War is not a favorite genre of mine. Um, And the moment I got into it from the first like 15, 20 minutes of it, I sat there and I just just got lost in it. It's a very well constructed film. It's um, the, the stakes are immediately clear. You have your, you have your situation explained in like the first scene of the movie and you immediately have like uh, Lee Marvin is sort of the, the, the one who is charged with getting this group of people into shape. Right. And then as you meet the people and you learn a little bit more about individually what their stakes are. You know, one person is in the situation purely accidentally. Yeah. And then others are, you know, there's there's one character, um, the character called Maggot, who mm-hmm. is who is largely as close to irredeemable as you can get, just in yeah. terms of perspective. And, and, and his character is very unlikable yeah. in general. And, Which is and, notable because he's also like the religious crazy character. Absolutely. Played by absolutely. Telly Savalas, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And Savalas does a fantastic job from an acting perspective but yeah you really dislike the character um but uh but yeah you see all of them come together it's a very well constructed film and even for being two and a half hours like it, I, I would it would not take a lot having seen it really recently it would not take a lot to talk me into watching it again like yeah. here in the next little bit uh so it, it's a very very good film if you're a fan of war movies at all or a fan of ensemble films or like any of the actors in the cast uh it's worth it's worth seeing it's a very good film yeah um and one of the things that i liked most about it is that they you do have this group of people who really have very little to lose i mean the, the they are already condemned men i mean maybe the people who were only sentenced to hard labor you know it's like they have their lives to look forward to the mission that they're going to be sent on they could die yeah and so there is a little bit of some some stake weighing at that point but most of them were going to die next week anyway i might as well try to go on this mission and if i go on this mission and we successful then we'll be put back into active service you know they won't be set free right but they will, you know, their records will be amended. They'll be back into active military service. So there is a, there is the possibility of redemption here. But like you said, there's, there's people who just, they, they really don't quite care at first. Yeah. But what's interesting that happens in the film is a little bit through the decisions Lee Marvin makes as a commander and as a leader of this, this team, and a little bit, uh, as some of the more influential members of the group sort of, uh, getting the message across to the rest of them, like, hey, we, we got to come together here. Yeah. Then they really do wind up becoming this incredibly valuable elite squadron yeah. of, of uh, you know, distinct characters with most of them very engaging, likable, memorable personalities, but each with a skill set. My favorite sequence in the movie is uh, a sequence in which, uh, and if you remember the film well enough, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The war games sequence okay, yes. is, is that's my, there's a basically without spoiling too much. There's a scenario in which the whole project is going to be abandoned unless this team can win these war games. Yeah. And uh, the, the whole uh, setup for that scene and the execution of the war games themselves is just so much fun to watch. And yeah. it's, it's great to, uh, you know, it, it, you really begin to see how this experience of them together has has brought them together as a team. In fact, the name and it feels I'm saying a lot right now. It feels like I might be a little all over the place. So I apologize if I am. I'm just sort of 
uh, vomiting out a lot of my immediate thoughts on the film. But the title, mm-hmm. Dirty Dozen, it has a specific reference point in the movie. Yeah. Um, it's not merely that these guys are criminals or – I mean, certainly the title is metaphorical to a degree. But there is a specific scene in which uh, one character refuses to uh, use cold water to shave. Right. And uh, that results, again, Lee Marvin sort of trying to whip these criminals into shape. Um, he's like, all right, nobody gets cold water. Nobody gets hot food. Nobody, you know, fine. You know, yeah. like it will just, you just have it your way. And so they don't bathe and they don't shave and they are referred to after a couple of weeks of, of this conditioning, they're seen by somebody and they're referred to as a dirty dozen, literally yeah. dirty dozen. But what's interesting about that from a thematic standpoint in the movie is that 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 is also representative of that's when they decide to stand together yeah. as a team is when they decided we're not we're not going to bathe unless we have hot water. We're not going to shave and we're not going to bathe unless we have hot water. So it really represented they kind of unionized to a certain. Extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. And so that is the moment when they become a team. So yeah. it was in the midst of, and I don't know if this is specifically where you were going with the theme, but it was in the midst of this sort of grime that they finally became, you know, a, a team together. Yeah. Uh, and, and not in, you know, appearances or in, uh, the way that it, it was supposed to play out for a squadron. Yeah. Uh, but, but in what it really was, which is, you know, your hands are dirty. There's, uh, you know, some of them have blood on their hands, uh, but they're, they're coming together for a greater purpose despite all of that. And, and yeah. in some ways kind of because of all of that, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And there's uh you know, and one thing that always struck me as interesting when I first saw it is the degree to which Lee Marvin, who is, he's not one of the prisoners. He's the no. guy who kind of had this, I, this hatched this scheme in the first place mm-hmm. and he's constantly having to defend it yeah. uh, to the higher ups. And, you know, to a certain extent you it's, you know, he's defending his idea, mm-hmm. but after a while, I think he does feel a certain degree of maybe not kinship, but he feels connected to these guys and knows them a little bit better. And after a while, it's like he sort of believes in them and he sees them coming together and he believes in that yeah. and is very excited about that. You know, well, it's interesting. Just a slight, slight correction on that. It's actually not his idea. He is. Oh, whose was it? It's uh, Ernest Borgnine's. Oh, that's it, yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. and so uh, who does a great job in that film? Well, of course. He I, lo- I love Ernest him. Anyway, I know. I love him to death. Uh, but uh, he uh, it's actually his idea. Lee Marvin bucks against it at first. But the reason I think that's notable is exactly what you just said is because mm-hmm. he comes so on board with it that then when the per- very person whose idea it was is going to pull the plug, yeah. Marvin puts himself on the line with them to say, no, that you I would put any one of my men against 10 of yours any day. That's right. Yes. I had forgotten that. Uh, but I think that's an interesting idea. Even so that the idea yeah. that, that, uh, the guy whose initial idea was, is like, Hey, it's, it seems almost, and that's the thing. Like if it was, so yeah, this, yeah, that's actually illustrates my point even better, which is Lee Marvin isn't defending the idea. Cause it wasn't his idea in the first place. He's defending his men. The he's, people, right. he's arguing against, the people who who just have written them off. There's a, an exchange here where a guy and I've I've you know abridged it a little bit, but a character says just about the most twisted antisocial bunch of psychopathic deformities I have ever run into. You've got one religious maniac, one ma- malignant dwarf, two near idiots, and the rest I don't even want to talk about. And then Lee Marvin says, 
well, I can't think of a better way to fight a war. Yeah. And you know, and that idea of, I can't think of a better way to fight a war. I know it sounds cheesy to say it, but like, I find that very inspirational. This idea that like, this is a guy who he can't refute what this person is saying. Yeah. But he's saying like all the better, like, yes, we could have like the, the most perfect soldiers in the world. And yet somehow this bunch of misfits are, is better, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because they've got skin in the game. They're striving for a certain degree of redemption. Uh, certainly not the kind that we talk in depth about on the show, but like a certain type of redemption yeah. at the very least. And I think they, <clears throat> well, I think the film is notably unsentimental, which is a thing I like. Um, you know, I, I feel like they start to believe in themselves a little bit, whereas I'm sure before they had written themselves off Absolutely. just as society had, you know, and in many ways one could say rightfully so, but then somebody believes in them and they start to believe in themselves and each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's a strangely inspiring film precisely because it, it's not sentimental. I feel yeah. like it earns that partially because some of the guys remain crazy. Like some yeah. of them, oh, you yeah. know, that maggot character is still a bad guy. <clears throat> oh yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, and you know, not a lot of the guys make it by the way, yeah. you know, very few of them in fact. Yeah. It, uh, most, most of them do not survive the mission. And it's interesting about maggot. Maggot is the only character who is taken out by another member of the dirty dozen intentionally right. because of his lunacy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, so yeah, it, it, it is definitely, uh, they begin to see beyond themselves and even beyond what they've been uh, sort of cast into or, or the verdict that's been placed down on them. You know, yeah, th- yeah this is who they are does not just add up to what they have done. It also is about what they're what they're doing now. Yeah. And I think to a large degree, you know, you and I have talked a lot about like just just personal theology, personal philosophy, and, and how we interpret the scriptures. One of the things that I think is, uh, it, it sort of stems into the realm of conviction for me is that I really believe God cares far more about what you do with what you've been given than with yeah. what you have been given. Um, yeah. I think he cares. There's certainly plenty of uh, parables to support that yeah. interpretation. That it's just that, that, it really doesn't so much matter what people's, you know, th- this is maybe broader than just the scope of the two films we're talking about, but it really doesn't so much matter what people perceive mm-hmm. of you. It matters what you are, what you do, yeah. you know, like people can, can say of the dirty dozen, they are criminals and they are rejects and they will not amount to anything. Uh, people can say of the, of, of the Avengers, of course, Ultron's a villain, but he could say, you know, they're monsters or they're, they're, they're being actually destructive or mm-hmm. counterproductive to, to what human beings could be or, or the, the next phase of evolution, as he would put it. And so, uh, that doesn't make any difference. And we ourselves often resign ourselves to, perception management mm-hmm. to where we are trying to change the way we are perceived. Um, and what I love about something that I think these, both of these films do is, you know, like Hawkeye's speech to, to Scarlet witch and the dirty dozen by the end of their film, when they actually go on their suicide mission is like, this, this is what we do. Yeah. And, and this is what 
defines who we are, not how we were perceived or what had happened in the past. It is it is today and it is now. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, just as sort of a final button on my thought, you know, I quote him a lot. <laughs> uh, it's funny when we're having conversations, you'll quote Lewis a lot. I'll quote Chesterton a lot. Yeah. So um, we'll get that that whole back and forth going. But Chesterton has a quote. I may have said it before, but he said, the idea is foolish of you have made your bed now lie in it. I can't quote this verbatim, but it's uh, to paraphrase it. He says that idea is silly to say, well, you've made your bed now lie in it. If you've made your bed and you've made it wrong, make it again. Yeah. Like you have an opportunity to, to change things from this point. You can't yeah. change the idea being, you can't change yesterday. You can't yeah. change what happened then. And maybe there are consequences <laughs> which bleed into the future that you now have. Yeah. And maybe there are some things that, have to be set to the side because of choices that you made before, but you can still make new choices right now. You can start making new, better ones. You can start redefining what it is that you do with what you have right now. And it's worth noting that to get back to uh, Avengers, you realize this is something that just amazed me. The entire story happens because of a mistake Tony Stark makes. Yes. Like, it's one thing when Loki decides he's going to attack the world with uh, with an alien army. <laughs> you can't do anything about that. Yeah. Except to fight it and try to prevent it. Tony Stark tries to do something good and in doing so creates the entire story for Age of Ultron. Like, he ruins yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Now, in this case, for him to, like, you know, lie in his bed could be like, well, it's, he's not like he's going to commit to the destruction of the world because all time good because his creation wants to. But when you think about it, it's so interesting. He also creates vision. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and he does it even after everyone is like, what do you do? Like, he still wants to haven't go through this learned. thing. And it's like, have you, haven't you learned? He's like, no, you just need to trust me. It didn't happen the right way before. I have more information now. I can do this right. Mm-hmm. And then he does do it right. And vision is in fact, so right that he can pick up Thor's hammer. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. you know, that's the idea of like, you know, and that goes, that goes to what we were saying. It's like, you can acknowledge like, like with the twins, like, Oh my gosh, look at what we've done. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to walk away. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fight against it, but I'm, I'm going to walk away. I'm never going to do anything like this right. again. Right. Stark, maybe because of his own ego, but I don't think so. He is committed to this thing. He's committed to fighting it, of course, and I think he feels ashamed to have created Ultron the way that he did, but <clears throat> but he still continues with what he's trying to do and creates vision. And you know, and it's and of course it is worth noting that the very last Ultron robot is destroyed by vision, but by after vision. after these conflicting views. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's such a it's such a fascinating idea. And so there's, there's some things that we, uh, need to get through. Um, but yeah, to get to this idea of, of being made new and to try and, you know, to try to put your past behind you or to literally deal with the consequences of it, but not let yourself be defined by that. Right. Um, so second Corinthians five seventeen. therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in, 
the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, there's a few more. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And then 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Okay, so I started to transition there into this idea. It's like, if you let yourself be defined by what you have done, then you will be inherently defeated. You know, if what, if you, if you say like, I did all this bad stuff, so you know what, I'm, I'm done. I can't do anything more. Then you're defeated. You're not doing any, you're, you know, there's, there's no bravery to that. There's weakness and it, it's an understandable weakness. And if you need to maybe take a break for a minute <laughs> to, yeah. to like kind of regain your composure and kind of figure out what you've done so that you don't do it again. Yeah. Um, that's different than retreating completely. Um, you know, but when we, because we have been made new and because we know that the forgiveness is still going to be, is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that can hopefully give us the boldness to move forward. Yeah. You know, which brings us to this line from vision where he says, maybe I'm a monster. I don't think I'd know if I were one. I'm not what you are and not what you intended. So there may be no way to make you trust me, but we need to go. And it's when he says we need to go that he lifts up Thor's hammer. And it's this moment of like, I I don't know. It's this statement of, I don't know exactly what I am. I might not be a great thing, but I, but right now, all I know is that we need to go and like fight. We need to do the right thing. And that's all I can do right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll mention this. And of course, you know, it's perfectly fine to be frightened and scared. And, you know, and that's the thing, like right now we're using, we're talking about fighting, we're talking about all that and how that relates to, you know, being a Christian. And that can mean any number of things, you know, uh, for you and I, it probably will never be a life threatening thing, right? But it could mean committing social suicide. Um, Sure. It could mean being called any number of names. It could mean being kind of, um, not necessarily ignored, but just sort of cast out. And I know that's a very lofty term, but like, you know, if you have a group of friends, there are some people for whom like certain ideas are a deal breaker as far as friendship. And, yeah. you know, if you say like, yeah, I think Jesus is the only way to God, you know, they could say that, well, that's very, ex- that's very exclusive. Uh, mm-hmm. that's very narrow minded. And I don't want to be some around somebody that's narrow minded, you know? Right. Um, it could mean any number of these things and it's scary. It's a scary thing to do. Yeah. Um, and nobody wants that, you know, that I think, I think such a thing breaks God's heart because, you know, he wants, he wants people to be together. He wants us to be a community. Um, but at the same time, he also wants us to stand up for what is right. And he wants us to stand up for the truth. And so, uh, but it is understandable when we are, you know, to be sheepish and to be frightened and maybe to look at the, to look around and say, all I have is a bow and arrow, right? What am I going to do? Um, and so, uh, I've got this passage from Luke 22 verses 39 through 46, So, uh, would you like to read that? Oh yeah, I'll read that for you. Okay. Um, 
It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. All right. So this is, of course, uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying that, uh, hey, I, I would prefer... If I had my druthers to not be horribly crucified <laughs> and uh, horrendously tortured and eventually die, I would really prefer that not be the case. Um, and praying, you know, very fervently and saying, not my will, but yours be done, which is a thing that I'm sure all of us have prayed and probably not actually meant. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, unde- we feel like, like we have to. We feel like we have to. And I'm sure we even in the moment we even believe it and and. And I think in our hearts, you know, we do believe it, but there's still part of it. It's like, it's like, not my will, but yours be done. But seriously, <laughs> if you could do this other thing, I don't, it's like, I don't think I'm being a jerk and asking, maybe just do what I want to do. You know, like, I'm not, not looking to be Hitler or anything. Like, I just want to get this job, yeah. you know? Um, and so undoubtedly <laughs> there's a, if he, if he was human, if he was a, you know, human and God, then the human part of him is like, all right, not my will, but yours be done. But again, I would really like to not be physically destroyed by these morons. Oh, man. Um, and so an angel appears and get, and strengthens him. I like the idea that Jesus needs strength yeah. in that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Um, being in anguish, anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So even though the angel comes and strengthens him, he's still, he's still praying and he's praying more earnestly and is so, and I've, and I've heard that you can actually, it is possible under extreme duress. And also I think a lot, a great deal of uh, dehydration, um, that you can physically sweat blood. I've heard the same thing. And, uh, so like, obviously he's, it's understandable why he's under extreme stress, but like him being strengthened actually doesn't necessarily lessen that stress. Oh, right. You know what right, I mean? Right, like that's right. something I find fascinating. Well, yeah. And, and what's interesting, and I'll try to, to stay as, as broad theologically as possible. But, um, one of the things that I hold, that I hold dear is that a lot of times when it's talked about Jesus dying, for our sins or, or like going to the cross, it's talked about with a certain degree of inevitability where mm. it's like, oh, well, you know, of course, in other words, we write off the temptations that he overcame by saying, yeah. well, he's Jesus. And, right. and all of us do that. All of us have thought that. But for me, I've, I've wrestled a lot with this, that if it was not possible for him to have said no to the cross, then there are no, there are no stakes. Right. It's, it's not a big deal. If it was just inevitable, then it, it's really not that grand of a notion to begin with and certainly right. not, uh, saving in its context. There had to have been the possibility for Jesus to say no and yeah. to not go through with it and to not finish this thing. And I think in the moment that, that's read, that we just read in the scriptures, that it's like that's something that, weighs very heavily like that's the conflict that's there it's like i 
I can stop this and I can refuse to do it. And I can, you know, I might not be able to stop, uh, you know, they're being mad at me or they're trying to kill me or something like that, but I can stop the suffering that I'm about to go through. And ultimately that, I mean, that is, that is real courage to, to know that you could, that you could end a thing, um, by, by, playing it safe or by yeah. uh, by denying what's what's really in front of you um and, and, and like it's interesting I'll, I'll only briefly bring this in but like um we we were talking about the the harry potter movies earlier and mm-hmm. I, I jotted down a little note when we did like um we don't have time to nor is it ultimately relevant to go into the whole story of why uh the snape character is seen as such a like a brave courageous thing but but it's it's playing into this idea like snape's story and in many ways uh i I think there's some context for even christ's story being the situation of the the weight of history and the weight of sin is like stacked against me at this point and I have a choice to either say, okay, I'm done, wash my hands of it and walk away, like you said Stark could have done earlier, mm-hmm. or I can step into this thing, and I know that there's going to be suffering. I know that there's, in Christ's case, he knew he was going to die. Uh, for the Avengers, uh, they know that they could, yeah. uh, and then for the Dirty Dozen, they know they probably will. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's like the stakes are very much... Like we're we're probably not going to make it out of this, but we have to. That that I think is is what bravery is all about is is still fighting the fight, even though you know you you could lose or yeah. that you might lose. I think that's I think that's what it means to be brave. Yeah, and to to bring in the two things that we're talking about, which is you know trying to get past your own past and what you were, maybe even what you are, and to talk about what bravery is. Like, bravery is refusing to be limited by what you were or by what you are. And to move forward despite, you know, if you, like, it's that idea, it's like, you know, if you're not afraid, then there's no such thing as bravery. It's only when you're afraid and move forward anyway. That is actual bravery. You know, and so it's take this cup from me and God's saying no. And it's like, all right, let's go. Then let's drink it. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and even in the moment, like it's, uh, as we've said before, it's, it's so to me, one of the, I, one of the things that, that genuinely makes me believe that Christianity is true is that it claims that Jesus was as much human as God. And then, and we we focus so much on the God part, and admittedly that is an important part. Sure, <laughs> that is the part that saves us. But also, like this is let me pass. Let let this pa- uh, cup pass from me. This is why have you forsaken me? It's mm-hmm. uh, it's these like those are human things. Yeah. But then there's also forgive them for they know not what they do. It is a, you know it is accomplished or it is finished or whatever. Like it's it's these two things together. Uh, and why on earth would you make your Messiah look so frail yeah. and so given to the, the, the anxiety that we are and the feeling of doubt and loneliness that we sometimes feel, you know, but going on ahead and yes, we can all, it's easy for us to say, yeah, but in the end he was still Jesus. And like, that's, that is true. Yes. Sure. Uh, but the same thing that strengthened him can strengthen us. And yes, we're going to fail, but we don't even need to be defined by that failure. We can move forward. Yeah. You know, we can, uh, 
Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. So, okay, I'm going to do something that's super cheesy. <laughs> I apologize in advance. I thought of it earlier, and I condemned myself for it, but I feel like uh, I, I literally put it to the side. And then, but I feel like the nature of the conversation right now uh, requires it. So, uh, we're going to. I'm going to paraphrase this line by Hawkeye, which is: "Doesn't matter what you did or what you were." If you go out there, you fight and you fight to kill. Now, obviously, we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not going to, you know, let's say let's say uh, you go out there and you fight to save. Let's say that. OK, because okay. uh, that's in this case, that's what it means. Um, stay in here. You're good. I'll send your brother to come find you. But if you step out that door, you're an Avenger. Now, if we if we change kill to save and Avenger to Christian, mm-hmm. like that's what applies here. Yeah. You know, and also this idea of like. I may be a monster. I don't know. I, I don't think I'd know if I were one to go back to what vision says. Uh, you know, there may be no way to make you trust me, but we need to go. Like, it's just, it's about, we can just sit and dwell in our own iniquity, but God has elevated us out of that. And if yeah. we, if we let, let ourselves be empowered by that, yeah, then we can move forward. Uh, knowing that, yes, we could still make a mistake, but that's forgiven as well. And we don't have to be defined by that mistake. We can always move forward, always yeah. be moving forward. I, 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 ABC, I, always be closing. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to find out, always be Christian? No. no we're not, I don't, we're not you know what? I don't no, care for that. No, no, no. no. We're just going to... Uh, I already edit, did one cheesy thing. I don't want to do another. Edit that part out. Right. Um, the uh, There's one... <laughs> I, I know we've been talking for a while. Um, if, if our listeners are still with us, there's one thing that I'll, that I'll briefly try to share um and it's this idea I, I don't have the chapter and verse because admittedly i am i have a horrible memory for that kind of thing yeah. i much more remember what it says than i remember where it's found and i apologize for that or if you think that's that's lessened somehow my memory of it but um the i believe it's written in the psalms where it says as far as the east is from the west mm-hmm. that he separated our sins from us and the interesting thing about that is certainly they are talking about specific destinations the east versus the west in yeah. terms of of the horizons. But what's interesting about that to me is that really when it comes to a walk of faith, the distance between your sin and your salvation are not destinations, they're directions. Yeah. So it does not matter if you can visually picture that on one side of, if you can picture like a string, uh, and on one side of this string is the worst monstrous human being that you could possibly be. And on the other side of the string is the, the best, most idyllic, most perfect human being that you could possibly be. What's, what I so passionately believe about anybody that I would speak to, and yes, I do mean anybody, the, 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 the most atrocious human beings and the people who are just sort of have off days, is that even if you are on the side of the spectrum that is all the way close to monster, the moment that you turn and begin to walking in the right direction, then you are headed in the right direction. Yeah. And, and grace lays an underbelly of possibility that you will get to this other side and leave the past behind you. And the flip side of that is that even if you are up next to sainthood, but begin to slide, you, you turn and begin to just sort of embrace all of these vices and embrace all of it. Well, then you're headed in the wrong direction. Right. And my personal 
conviction and what I share with so many people when I do try to tell them why I am a Christian and why I would love for everybody else to be one too, is that idea of there's an underbelly of grace that says the moment you turn around or repent is the word in Christianese, that if you, the moment you turn around and begin to head in the right direction, there's a brand new road that's set before you. And sometimes that takes an incredible deal of faith and it takes an incredible deal of courage to say, no, I'm not going to, to continue to face this thing simply because I have for X, Y, Z number of years. Now I have the opportunity to turn around and, these days, it's very valuable, and it's a, it's a virtue that's espoused to be yourself. That's what's often told is is for people to just, oh, you just have to be yourself. And uh, I think it's interesting in the context of faith, and probably for a larger discussion than this point right now, to say that that Christianity dares to say, like you know, be who you could be yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you could be who God is calling you to be. Yeah. Or you could be who even, you know, the 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 depths of your heart is also crying out for you to be. And that that possibility, as long as you have breath in your body, that possibility is always still there. Yeah. Um, maybe not to the extent it was had you not made those poor choices, but it's still there. It's there right now. And if you see tomorrow, it will be there tomorrow for you yeah. to still make those choices and turn the right direction. So, and you know, that's, I, I really like that, that observation that it's not about a destination. It's about a direction because like, if it's, if it was like, I've put your sins as far as Denver is from New York, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's pretty far, yeah. but at some point you arrive at one of them. Right. As opposed to East is from the West. If you think in terms of directions, then literally the moment, like you said, the moment you turn, you are now headed East. Yeah. Now. And the thing is, like, when it comes right down to it, you could be a hundred miles along, you're still headed east. You could be, you could be one step or a hundred miles. In both cases, you're headed east. The minute you turn, you are a Christian. Yeah. The minute you turn, you do, you know, you have Christ representing you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sorry, yeah. If you step out that door, you're an Avenger. The minute you turn, you are a Christian. You have God's strength behind you, and you have God's forgiveness for those moments when you turn back. Because, of course, you you will. I mean, it's going to happen. It happens. Yeah, it's going to happen. So, you know, it's uh, you know, one thing that I'll say is, so I've talked about a few superhero movies on the podcast. I Mm -hmm. talked about Iron Man and Iron Man Two. Talked about The Dark Knight. Uh, the Avengers. And it's so fascinating uh, when you put these together. Um, it's so fascinating what they are and I'm not going to do it right now, but I, I would, I would welcome people to go back and listen to the Iron Man episode, listen to the Avengers episode and the Dark Knight episode, because, you know, to go back to the beginning of this episode, you know, so many people grow tired of, of uh, superhero movies. And I understand why, but at the same time, if you have a director and a writer and a cast that is committed to still making a good movie, then it can still be effective. And of course there are still, you know, someone could try to make a good movie and still make a, a, a really bad film. It's sure. still possible. But at the same time, what I like about superhero movies is just how, just the, the themes that they are exploring, like they are about people in transition. They're about people demanding more of themselves there. And often they are people that are deeply flawed. I now remember that I also talked about guardians of the galaxy in the live yeah, episode, right? You know, these are people, Tony Stark 
is a bad guy, a selfish, selfish guy at the beginning of Iron Man. Thor is a pretty selfish, preening, prideful person at the beginning of Thor. You know, Captain America is a, is a pretty noble guy. I'll say that. Yeah. He, 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 he tends not to have much of an arc, uh, which is why yeah. the fact that he's still interesting is fascinating to me. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and so when you, when you watch these movies, uh, you're watching tales of redemption, tales of bravery, tales of sacrifice, and that can be a very exciting thing. And hopefully, you know, there are days when, there are times when I, pardon me, when I watch these movies and I feel genuinely inspired and I feel inspired as a person and I feel inspired as a Christian, as strange yeah. as that may sound, because I think they speak to us on a level that I think everybody can relate to and everybody can understand. Um, and that I think everybody wishes they were that thing. Now yeah. we may not be able to have the power of Hulk or anything like that, but in our own daily lives, we can still make these choices that could be seen as unpopular or they could be seen as somehow dangerous. Uh, but it is, and we may think that it's that it, we're not capable of making such decisions, but we absolutely are. You know, if Jesus can willingly go to his torture and death for as he knows, no reason. Yeah. He has done absolutely nothing wrong. So not only is he doing something that he knows is going to be horrible, but he's doing it knowing it's completely unjust. Yeah. If he can do that, then and then we can then we can do whatever the equivalent is in our own lives. And it's precisely because he did that that we can do this. Not merely by example, but because of his sacrifice and you know, the strength that that can give us and that sort of thing. So I think that's where we'll leave it. We're at a solid two hours. Oops. Oh, wow. Um, Thanks for sticking with us, guys. Absolutely. Uh, the first Avengers episode was two and a half hours. So, you know. Oh, all right. So let's keep going. Let's, that's what I'm saying. So let's talk about, uh, I don't know. Let's talk about uh, the upcoming <coughs> Avengers films. I'm just, let's do it. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think... Uh, let's see. You can email me Tyler at more than one lesson.com. If you have any questions or thoughts, you can also comment in the uh, post of this episode at more than one lesson.com. You can follow me on Facebook. You can follow us. Oh, sorry. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. I forget. Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. It's just at Reed Lackey at Reed Lackey. Simple enough. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, Reed, thanks for being here. My pleasure. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.